Welcome back, friends. It's Anita Capri, and you are listening to Not Just Any Other Story. I welcome you. Thank you so much for tuning back in to episode 11. Today, uh, you're going to hear chapters 30 to 34. Um, I'm going solo today. This is the first time, so I did have a guest planned, but um, there was a last-minute cancellation. So you know what? I thought, it's okay. I'm going to go forward because there are some listeners that are asking when the next episode is coming out so they can see what happens in the story. So I thought I would go ahead with that today. We're getting close to the end now. So there is one thing I do want to mention before we start that I have not mentioned in any of the previous podcasts, and it's really important because it allows more listeners to see the podcast listed. So the more people that follow and rank and review this podcast, uh, the more accessible it is. So I'm asking my listeners, please, if you could do that on, I believe on Apple Podcasts, it's... um, You just have to go scroll down. Don't go to a specific episode. Just scroll down on the podcast and it gives you a spot where you can review and write comments. So I ask you to rate it with the stars and be honest and write a comment or a a review. And I believe on Spotify, you just have to go to those three little dots beside the uh, podcast name. And I think there's a spot there for you to rate and review. So please do so. And let's get started. We're going to start with chapter 30 today. And I believe we ended off when Angel had her first lovemaking session with Les, and it was quite beautiful. Unfortunately, the very next morning, her mom and dad and her son show up at the house, so she's got to make a little bit of a quick comeback, and Les helps her with that. And that's where we are right now. So chapter 30, A Deep Breath. I can't believe he showed up at the airport, Moira spoke, a note of incredulity in her voice. This is so Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger in that movie, you know, the one where she says, you had me at hello? Too romantic for me, sweetheart. She leaned forward, anxious for more details, but all I could think about was the fact that I I had not yet shared with Moira the more complicated and lengthy tale of Les and Angel that really began many years before. Moira quickly realized that I had something important on my mind. What is it, kiddo? She looked into my eyes, her expression changing from excitement to concern. There's something that I need to tell you, Moira, I started, my voice trembling slightly. She waited patiently for me to divulge whatever it was that had changed the mood from playful to somber in just a few seconds. Less is, well, he's actually... I stammered as I watched Moira's expression become more intense. Then I finally blurted out, He's Harry's father. He's it. It's him. And yes, I get it, she interrupted. And then she began to laugh and laugh some more. And as she continued to laugh, she hugged me and began stroking my hair just the way my mother used to when I was a kid. Is that all? Jeez, I thought you were going to tell me your dream man was gay or has some communicable sexual disease. God, you scared me. Now it was my turn to laugh. She joined in and it turned into a true friendship moment. So which story do you want first, I asked. The first encounter or the most recent? Well, Moira pondered, oh, what the hell, I've got all the time in the world. Start from the beginning. It didn't take too long to get through the whole account of my life since Les came into the picture, considering the fact 
that Moira had already been given the short version of Harry's conception, names excluded, years earlier. By the time I got to the part where Les arrived at the airport, I was exhausted, yet at the same time I was eager to share this secret of all secrets with my best friend. Moira was silent for most of my narrative. She listened earnestly, her expression changing accordingly with each part. She particularly enjoyed the end where my parents and Harry came into the house catching Les and me in a couple's morning after. She laughed exuberantly at this. Then she sat back and smiled smugly as if she had the most satisfying sex of her life. A few hours later, Moira announced that it was time to go. It always amazed me that we never ran out of things to talk about. Moira was, in some ways, my savior, someone who was far enough removed from the family to be non-judgmental, but close enough to be able to tell me when I was being totally ridiculous. I thanked God for that many times, many, many times. Glancing at the clock, which flashed a menacing 1.35 a.m., I groaned, thinking about the fact that I had to go into work in just a few hours. When she'd left, I looked in on Harry, who'd been long asleep in his room. I watched him for a few moments, one leg uncovered and hanging over the side of his bed, his face half-hidden in his oversized feather pillow. He was snoring and sounded as if he were a little congested. I recalled our conversation earlier that afternoon, after a very long lunch at Jerry's, the local family restaurant. We had just arrived back home and Harry had been quite curious about Les. He seemed to like him, he said. It was so like Harry to get right to the punch. I do like him, I answered. I wanted to be open with him as much as I could. He deserved at least that much. Have you been seeing him for long? It was so endearing to have my son question me about my boyfriend and the way dad would have done in my younger days. I smiled at Harry. Not too long. He nodded. There was an uncomfortable silence for a few seconds, and then he said, He seems pretty nice. He is. He's very nice. Then in an effort to change the subject, I asked, How about you? It was the perfect opportunity for me to question him about his new love interest. His mouth twitched and he contemplated whether he himself was ready to share. Tell me about your little friend, I coaxed. He was smiling timidly while trying to hide the twinkle in his eye. Her name is Krista. Lovely name, I replied. And what is she like? She's nice, he said, trying expressly not to elaborate. I was beginning to think that nice was the word of the day. Oh, good, I nodded. For a few moments, we both seemed to digress into our own thoughts. It seemed to me an amazing moment of commonality between the two of us. Here we were, mother and son, sharing but not sharing few details with each other about our respective love lives. For the moment, we knew there was nothing else that needed to be said. We were, both of us, finding our way around on new turf. I looked into Harry's eyes, his young, wise eyes, and he seemed to know that it was okay to end the conversation there. I'm really tired. I think I'll take a shower and go to bed. School tomorrow, you know. I hugged him goodnight and held his face in my hands for a few seconds. I didn't need to tell him how much I loved him. He knew. It had been a long, tiring day for both of us. My mind was still preoccupied by the pressing notion that I had to tell Les everything, no matter what. There was no opportunity to call him that afternoon or evening, and I found myself missing him already. The day just went from one eventful moment to the next. First it was brunch with Mom, Dad, and Harry, then Bev, and the kids dropped by. She wanted to know everything about my time with Tilly. I left out some of the more intimate ones, of course. Right after she left, I finally had some time to spend alone with Harry. Some much-needed time. 
Just as he meandered off to take his shower, a brisk knock at the door announced the arrival of my latest guest, Moira. By the time she'd left, it was much too late to call Les, and I knew that I was too drained to even contemplate having the talk with him. No, it would have to be tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, then the next day. And if not the next day, then definitely soon. Yes, it would have to be soon. So that's the end of chapter 30, and um, I there's there's one thing that really stuck out for me in this chapter that, and I quite purposefully did this, was the part about um, Moira, sorry, Harry and Angel having that commonality of first loves. And, you know, um, it's important because the first love for Harry is very innocent, right? And he's not really willing to talk about it too much. He's a little bit shy about it. And he's discovering things. With Angel, it's, it's kind of her first love again, repeated, um, or continued. And she's kind of in the same position. She's feeling, you know, like it's in its first stages and she's discovering as well. And, um, I mean, it is the man with whom she did lose her innocence as well. So there's that aspect there. So I quite purposely wanted that chapter to be a short one, but just to show that mother and son have this thing that they're both going through alone or with a partner, but also kind of together. They're sharing bits and pieces together. And, you know, as, as, as it was mentioned, they didn't need to say anything else. They kind of just knew that they're both going through this and they're both there for each other. And it's as simple as that. So I uh, just wanted to share those thoughts about chapter 30 because I wanted to make sure that there was some sort of follow-up to meeting Harry, um, Harry meeting Les, um, and also about what's going on in Angel's mind and what's going on in Harry's mind too. So anyway, we're going to go on to chapter 31. And this is Angel kind of catching up with people at work. It's called Meanwhile Back at the Ranch. Well, 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 look at what the cat dragged in. Cam's eyes wandered from the computer screen to my face and then to the cup of tea I was holding out to him. He seemed without a doubt pleased to see me. He took the tea from my hand, placed it on the counter and leaned back in his desk chair. Clasping his hands together behind his head, he looked ready, as if he were setting, settling in for an amusing story or joke. So is this the greeting I get, I asked, slightly disappointed that he had not rushed out of his chair to give me a big welcome back hug. He smiled, still waiting for me to take part in this necessary prelude to our busy day. I proceeded to tell him about some of the adventures and misadventures I had experienced on my trip to Italy. Cam seemed to be enjoying every detail as I described the dreamy Italian countryside, the vibrant life of Orvieto, and the interesting characters who were part of Tilly's inner circle. When we were interrupted by the phone a couple of times, Cam simply let it go to the answering machine until his curiosity had been satisfied. When I had taken the last sip of my coffee, I reached the part in the story where Tilly had given me that last wink at the airport before she trotted off with Giovanni. Hmm, Cam finally said. I think I like this Giovanni dude. He's got it all going on, you know. The other guy, what's his name again? Stefan, I answered, rolling my eyes. Yeah, well, Stefan, I don't know about him. He might just miss the train if he doesn't start checking his watch. 
Cam was nodding one of his what a shame it would be nods. What are you talking about, Cam? I asked. You think bachelor number two is missing the train where my sister's concerned? Sounds like it, he answered, now leaning forward in his chair, resuming his former position at the computer. Oh no, my dear, he's not missing the train, I said convincingly. He's just using strategy. He'll make his move loud and clear when the time comes. You are obviously cheering for the opposing team. I guess I am. I like Stefan. He's mysterious and confident in his own way. If you say so, he answered, throwing his disposable teacup across the counter and into the waste bin on the other end of the waiting room. I realized that Mel wouldn't be in until the next day and that I would probably have to repeat the story all over again for her. Now you have to tell Mel all of this again tomorrow, you know, Cam teased, and the details you missed, he added, smiling smugly to himself. How on earth do you do that? I was amazed yet again at Cam's ability to read my mind. And what do you mean by missing details? He was grinning again. And as he got up from his chair and turned to go out of the room, Oh, you know the part about arriving home? I'm sure the story doesn't end there, does it? As he spoke the last few words, he turned around to see my expression. I just stared at him with that deer-caught-in-the-headlights look until he disappeared into the back office. This was one man I just couldn't fool. Any omission or lie was simply futile. As I looked at the clock, I realized that it was well past nine and Zafaya hadn't arrived to work yet. For a moment, I instinctively began to panic as I wondered if she had gone into premature labor. Just then the phone rang. It was her, welcoming me back and apologizing at the same time for not being there. I had this ultrasound and I couldn't get another date for it, she explained. For heaven's sakes, Zephyr, you don't have to apologize for taking care of yourself and your baby. Don't worry about anything. Okay, she answered calmly. You called in the nick of time. I wondered if perhaps you had gone into labor. She let out a soft laugh. I still have four weeks, you know. I know, I guess I'm a little excited for you. She laughed again. It was soothing and sweet, just like Zafaya. I'll see you when you get here, I said. Just take your time. It's pretty quiet around here anyway. Just then, a stern-looking woman walked in, pulling on the leashes of two very energetic puppies. I hung up before Zafaya could hear the two of them barking wildly as their owner scolded them. I sighed so loud that the woman, whose heavy perfume had by this time infiltrated the whole front office, stopped yelling at the two pups and looked at me as if she were going to have a go at me next. She didn't have the opportunity, though, because Cam waltzed into the waiting room, took the two leashes from her, and said, Come on, fellas. Then he turned back and said to the woman, Just have a seat for a few minutes, Mrs. Hauser. I'll come back to get you when I need you. And just like that, Mrs. Hauser sat down, adjusted her jacket, and crossed her legs. Her eyes darted to the clock, then to me, and back to the clock again. To my relief, she didn't say a word to me then or for the next 20 minutes while she sat there. It was just as well, because as it turned out, that small window of silence and sanity would be the only one I would have all day. So that is a short chapter, the end of chapter 31. And um, I wanted, I'm just giving you a little bit of background into my thoughts when I was writing these, these three or four chapters. It's... At this point in the novel, I wanted there to be follow-up and a reconnection of Angel with the people back, you know, in her real life, uh, in reality, where she has her day-to-day life. Um, So that being Harry, of course, um, and her relationships at work. And I wanted there to be this little interaction and this a bit of worry that Angel had for Zephyah. 
And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to sort of show the progression of her relationship with Zephiah in terms of now she's worrying about her, you know, yes, we worry about our colleagues, but she's now sort of herself taking on a little bit of a motherly role for this girl. And I wanted to, to sort of reconnect that relationship because we, you know, up till now it's been, um, you know, she's the receptionist and she's, you know, has a relationship now with Moira, the best friend, but there is a relationship that's progressing and growing there between Angel and Zephia. So really wanted to touch base with that in this chapter, even though it's short and of course show, um, a little bit more about Cam and, and his easygoing and, uh, just the fun way about him and how he, uh, is able to just be kind of like a brother to Angel, you know? Um, Anyway, okay, so we're <laughs> a little bit of reflection there. Now, uh, we're going to go on, and she's going to, there's a different reconnection here now with Mel, and sort of um, seeing what's happening there with that whole side story with Mel and Eddie Bickner, who is Angel's neighbor. So here we go. Chapter 32 is More Moments of Perfect. Luckily, there was no need to repeat my story the next day to Mel because she showed up at my door that evening with a mood that could launch the space shuttle into orbit. I wouldn't exactly say she was hyper, but she was definitely excited to talk to me as she bounced in and plopped herself carefully, carelessly on the couch. I want to know everything, she commanded, raising her arms up and stretching them out on the top of the couch. As I began to recount the highlights of my trip, I noticed that her enthusiasm seemed less a symptom of curiosity for my trip and more a result of the news she was bursting to tell me. As I finished off with my arrival at the airport and the surprise of seeing Les there, Mel did not ask me anything about what happened after that, which was totally unlike her. She usually wanted every last detail and would question you mercilessly, and mercilessly until she was completely satisfied that she'd sucked every bit of information out of you. So instead of asking me questions about the more intimate part of the previous evening, which I probably would have withheld anyway, she finally told me her big news. I'm in love. For a split second, I thought of, of her two-timing fiancé, and then quickly, Eddie Bickner's face crept into the picture. I honestly didn't know which could be worse. When I wasn't forthcoming with my congratulations and instared, instead stared at her blankly, not knowing what to say, her mood shifted and she suddenly gave me a look of disappointment. Aren't you going to ask me who it is? I'm so sorry, Mel. I guess you just caught me off guard. I decided to play dumb. Are things going a lot better with... It's your next door neighbor, Eddie. At the mention of his name, her eyes regained their sparkle. I took It took somewhat of an effort to look pleasantly surprised at the news, and I tried my best to appear happy for her. She quickly went through the days following her first meeting with Eddie, for which I had apparently been responsible. Weeks earlier, when I'd given him a lift to work, he had showed up at the clinic for a ride back home. He and Mel had chatted for almost an hour while Cam and I were finishing up a minor surgery on a cat. The two of them had hit it off and Eddie had called Mel after that. They had gone out a few times before I'd left for Italy and then had seen each other almost every night while I was gone. I felt deceived at the thought of the two of them dating right under my nose. Mel had been so secretive about it, I hadn't suspected a thing. 
I watched her animated gestures as she talked about how funny he was and how he was always surprising her. Then she said, I know he's a flirt, but I'm keeping him on his toes. Oh yeah? I asked a little too sarcastically. Mel noticed, but it didn't seem to bother her. I won't tell him I love him, she gloated, proud that she was playing somewhat hard to get. No? Nope. He tells me he loves me, but I won't say it back. It drives him crazy. I chuckled at the thought of Eddie pouting. Oh, Angel, I know what you're thinking, she said, smiling. I felt a little embarrassed that I had been so transparent. It's okay. Don't worry. Eddie is great. There's a side to him that you just don't know. That's for sure, I quickly agreed. And what about Charlie? I guess the wedding's off. It was always off, Angel. I think I always knew that. We both smiled at each other. Suddenly, I felt flattered that Mal would entrust this important news to me, despite the fact that she was perfectly aware of what a constant source of irritation Eddie had been for me over the last couple of years. But Mal didn't seem to care about that at all. She stayed for another hour. After watching her sip over, skip over the lawn and over to Eddie's house, I found myself laughing out loud and nodding my head in utter disbelief. And yet, how could I not feel pleased for her? As I closed the door, I felt anxious about talking to Harry. He'd arrived home a little after 8.30 and had dashed past us and into his room, no doubt, to make a very important phone call to his girlfriend. He was still in his room when Mel had left. When I knocked on his door, I heard a muffle, Come on in, Mom. When I opened the door, Harry looked up from the computer magazine he'd been reading and smiled. When I sat on the bed, he turned the magazine over. What's up? Mel just left. I just wanted to see what you were doing. Just reading. What time is it? About 9.30, I think. He jumped, off off, jumped up off the bed. It's time for my favorite reality show. You coming to watch? How could I refuse such a heartfelt invitation to spend some quality time with my only son? So much for the heart-to-heart -heart talk I had planned. Though I enjoyed spending a relaxing evening with just Harry and me, even if it was just to sit in front of the television, I struggled to stay awake. From what I could gather, his favorite reality show was about people who were competing for the title of Most Beautiful, unaware that the show was really about being beautiful on the inside. It seemed a little silly, and after drifting off to sleep several times, I finally decided to go to bed. As I lay in bed, hovering on the edge of consciousness, I could hear Harry laughing as he went in and out of the kitchen during the commercials, just as I felt myself sinking into a sound sleep, lest his face popped into my head. I realized that I hadn't yet returned his call, and I had promised to do so once Mel had gone for the evening. As tired as I was, I wanted to hear his voice before I fell asleep. As I thought about our night together, butterflies fluttered about madly in my stomach. His touch had been gentle when he'd said goodbye to me, but at the same time full of passion. It was like he didn't want to let go. It had been the same for me. I remembered the glint of moonlight that peeped in through the window and bounced off of his dark hair and the side of his face while we made love. It's probably too late to call. He'd be asleep by now. Yes, he would be for sure. Or maybe he's waiting for me to call. At some point during the, deba the debate that was going on in my mind, I had fa fallen fast asleep. It seemed as if I had just closed my eyes when I was startled back into the world of the conscious by a noise at my window. I was so disoriented that I thought for a moment it was early the next morning. Then I noticed the time. It was midnight. I'd been asleep for a couple of hours. Then I heard the noise again. It was coming from my window. It scared me enough so that I was sitting straight up in bed, my eyes wide open, my heart pounding so strongly that I could almost hear it. There it was again. 
Without thinking, I leaned over and pulled the curtain back. Les was standing just outside my window, his hands in his pockets, a devious smile playing on his lips. Though relieved it was Les and not some intruder, I stared at him in semi-horror. After he gestured for me to open the window, I came to my senses. I unlocked the window and pushed it up as high as it could go. Before I could do anything else, Les was already popping out the screen and crawling through. I was ecstatic to see him, and the fatigue that had overtaken me earlier was replaced by a nervous, excited energy. I felt like a teenager sneaking me, my boyfriend, into my room while my parents slept a few feet down the hall. When he'd closed the window and drawn the drapes back, he turned to me and murmured softly in my ear, I just wanted to say goodnight. I could barely contain myself. My heart was pounding ferociously now, and my ears felt like they were going to pop. I whispered, Good night, back, and then he gently pushed the strap of my top away from my shoulder. His lips, lips brushed my neck, and then soft kisses caressed my shoulder, sliding ever so smoothly down, down, until my hands were clutching the back of his head, my fingers running through his hair. My head was spinning, but he didn't stop. I thought for a moment that I had to be dreaming. He pulled me down onto the floor and sat alongside me, his hands roaming over my body, awakening every part of me under his magical touch. I was very aware of his body, hard against mine, and it, it was as if I could hear his innermost thoughts and desires. When he leaned over to kiss me, it felt as if he were breathing his life into me. I pulled him closer, and then he was on top of me. I wanted to abandon every part of myself to him. My hands reached under his shirt and explored the curves of his back and then down to his buttocks. His body felt firm and smooth and there was that heavenly smell again. This time, no vanilla, just him. Then he took my arms and spread them out on the carpet above my head. He entered me with such passion and intensity that I wanted to scream out his name over and over again, but I was breathless and utterly lost in the moment. I could sense that he too was taken away to that place where lust and love mingle so beautifully together that you can no longer tell one from the other. We both arrived there at the same time. I knew then, as I listened to his soft, quick breaths, that I had truly fallen in love with him. I wanted him, all of him, not just for Harry, but for me, and I couldn't imagine being without him now. We lay there on the floor for what seemed like hours before he finally lifted me onto the bed and crawled in beside me, pulling the covers over us. We didn't say anything to each other. We just lay there, holding each other with our eyes closed. Then, as if I had lost control of my own tongue, I said in a hurried breath, Les, listen, there's something I have to tell you. I don't know what possessed me to choose that particular moment as the moment of truth, but some other force seemed to have taken control of me. When he didn't respond, I realized that he had already fallen asleep. I wasn't sure if I felt disappointed or relieved that this was not, after all, the fragile turning point in our relationship. An hour later, as I lay awake listening to the soft purr in Les's chest as he slumbered peacefully beside me, I had convinced myself that it was not meant to be just yet. My secret was meant to stay a secret for the time being. I scolded myself, wondering how I could have thought of ruining this moment of perfect with my shocking revelation. When the alarm went off at 7 a.m., my eyes opened instantly. Les was gone. Maybe it was all a dream, I thought, but when I took a deep breath, I could smell the scent of him and his cologne on the sheets and in the room. I took another deep breath. No, there was no mistaking it. He had been there. 
we had made love and had fallen in love. And if I remembered correctly, I thought of actually telling him about Harry. Stupid, foolish girl. And that is the end of chapter 32. A little intense there. A few things going on here in this chapter. Um, I, you know, when Angel first made love to Les, after, you know, in the recent days, and her parents came in, it was like she was a young girl again or a teenager. And this, I, I purposefully wanted to have this sort of, I think of it as a movie, a scene where they have to kind of be quiet and secret because Harry's in the next room or a few a few doors down, right? So again, that feeling of, you know, being kind of like a, a younger girl, a teenager, having to be secretive and kind of sneaky, you know, behind uh, one of her parents' back or in this case, her son's back. And I thought it was important to have this because... Angel kind of missed out on a little bit of this, right? So it's a little bit of her sort of reliving some of that youthful um, mystery and discovery and fear, you know? Um, So it was an important scene that I wanted her to have in this story and, you know, where she actually also realizes that she is in love with this guy. And now there truly, truly is no turning back. She really, uh, it's become ever more apparent that she has to tell him, you know, about Harry. So, um, you know, I'm sure you've probably figured out by now he's going to find out. Um, And he almost did this time around, but um, it's not what you're going to think. It's going to be in a different way. I think we're going to do one more chapter um, because she's going to, again, these three or four chapters are the part of the book where she's reconnecting with everybody after her Italy trip. And of course, after another different stage in her relationship with Les, where now there's this whole physical sexual aspect that has become a reality, right? So she's reconnecting with uh, her son, her friends, and now her mom. So um, let's go on to chapter 33 and then we'll end it with that one. It's also, it's not long either. Okay, here we go. It's called Rational Hesitation Versus Commitment. And I'm going to start with a, a quote from Anne Morris. The irony of commitment is that it's deeply liberating in work, in play, in love. The act frees you from the tyranny of your internal critic from the fear that likes to dress itself up and parade around as rational hesitation. To commit is to remove your head as the barrier to your life. So I hope you're seeing the uh, connection here between this quote and um, the fact that Angel needs to commit to telling her secret. Here we go. I can't believe you didn't tell him yet, Angelica, my mother was saying as she nodded her head and pursed her lips. I'm waiting for the right time, I answered, not quite sure I believed myself. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. She has the voice of counsel that seems to be universal to all mothers. I know, Ma, I know. I didn't want to talk about it. I knew that any excuse that I had for not having told Les would be unacceptable to my mother. Was it really that the opportunity for such a moment of revelation had not presented itself? 
Or was it that I just couldn't commit to telling Les the biggest news of his life because of how it might affect me, how his reaction might hurt me? I realized then as I sat there looking around my mother's kitchen, avoiding her expectant gaze, that it was resolve that I was lacking. I had made one attempt at telling him while we lay entwined in each other's arms, but deep down I think I knew he'd be asleep when I contemplated it. If I had been more resolved, I would have told him when I saw him standing outside my window, or just after he picked me up at the airport, or even before I had left for Italy. Maybe I should have told him on our first official date. What a great conclusion to the evening it would have been. In retrospect, falling down twice in one night, literally and emotionally, may have been better than dragging my heels for weeks and weeks. I knew that now was the time to commit, no matter how painful it could be for me. It was time to do the right thing. I quickly checked the time on my watch. Are you in a hurry, Angelica? No, I just wondered what time it was and what Harry was doing. I had just finished work and was heading home when I decided to drop in on my parents, whom I hadn't seen in a week, a lengthy span in our family. Dad was not home from work yet, and Mom had been preparing a wonderfully savory spaghetti sauce for dinner. We spent the next half hour catching up on the latest news. The bistro had been written up in a magazine article, apparently, and Bev and Hans were busier than ever. I was happy for them. When you work that hard serving the public, there should be some recognition, some way of saying to people, we see you, we know you've worked hard, so congratulations. Then Mom announced that she and Dad were thinking of looking for a place in Florida where they could vacation. When I pointed out the fact that my father never really took vacations, she just laughed and said, Someday he will. Though she didn't say it, I knew Mom was also wanted to vacation in Florida so that they could see my brother more often. It suddenly occurred to me that perhaps my father had been considering retirement, though it seemed a remote possibility. My thoughts drifted back to the heated conversation between Tilly and me as we sat in Giovanni's little Fiat on the shoulder of a bumpy Italian road. What was it Tilly had said, that Mom had given up her job and her time that was already spread thin between four children in order to be a grandmother to Harry? She was his primary caregiver during my last three years of high school, the one who had made sure he had clothes and food and the care that only a grandmother could give every single day. I felt remorseful at that moment. Mom had sacrificed a lot for her family, particularly for me. It was time for her to start living her life again, for both of my parents to start living their lives together again. I looked up at my mother. She was sipping on a glass of iced tea. She started to pile up the bills and papers she'd been attending to just before I arrived. As I stared at her worn hands, I suddenly noticed for the first time that they were beginning to show the signs of hard work and age. I placed my hand over hers. She stopped just short of pulling her chair back to check the tomato sauce that was simmering away on the stove. I'm sorry, Ma, I said. I'm sorry you gave up so much for me. Before I could get to the last word, tears began to well up in my eyes. She was looking at me, her mouth slightly ajar, her eyes sympathetic. And then I began to sob like a child. She got up to get some Kleenex from the counter, and as she handed it to me, she lifted my chin so I could look at her. Tears were streaming down her face, and she was half smiling. I didn't give up anything, Angelica, she assured me. She sat down across from me and took both of my hands in hers. Do you know how happy I am to be a grandmother? Though I tried to answer, all I could do was gulp and stare back at her. And it is still a joy, she continued. But I know you had to shh, she interrupted me, and dried her own face with the Kleenex. Do you think I would do something I didn't want to do? 
Half laughing and half crying, I answered, yes. We both started to laugh. Well, maybe, but I'm your mother and taking care of my first grandchild was not a chore. It was a joy. I will never regret that. I was nodding, crying and smiling at the same time. And dad, I asked, do you think he wanted that kind of responsibility? More than anyone, she answered in a tone that was even more confident. When I looked at her, my expression must have looked doubtful. She sat up straight and poised herself as if she were ready to say something that nobody could mistake for anything but the absolute truth. Your father adores Ari, and he admires you so much, Angelica. Do you know how he speaks about you? I mean, he speaks well of all his children, but do you know how many times he said, that angel, she's a persistent girl, or can you believe what she's accomplished, finishing school, becoming a vet, raising a little boy all that time? Don't you ever think for one minute that your father isn't proud of you? What about moving away from home? You made everyone move here because of me. When I said this, my mother became resolute. Cara mia, she said, shaking her head. Is that what you think? I looked at her without answering. Your father talked about moving to Toronto for years before you ever got pregnant. He did? I felt my hand squeezing hers, and here I was, blaming Father David for telling you to move. Father David? The principal? Yeah, wasn't he the one to suggest I get out of town? At this, my mother let out a huge sigh. Ah, oh, poor Father David. You know, Angelica, he only suggested we move to Toronto because your father told him so many times that he wanted to move because there was more business in the big city. When you got pregnant, it gave us the little push we needed. You wanted to move here? Yes, and look at how well your father's done. The business has grown so much since he came here, and he's been able to help all of his children. I was trying to think back to 15 years earlier. What had my parents said to me when they'd made the decision to move to Toronto? It had all happened so quickly. All I remembered was that they'd said it was best for all of us to move. My mother got up to stir the spaghetti sauce. She looked over at me, the wooden spoon still in her hand. She smiled in the way that mothers do when they have made things right in the world. I was pretty much finished emotionally after that. I concluded my visit with the feeling of a big weight being lifted from me, followed, of course, by some more words of advice from my mother. I left before my father came home. I didn't want him to know about our mother-daughter talk, and I knew that in my fragile state, I would have burst into tears all over again had he walked through the door. As I drove the two blocks from their house to mine, it felt ex I felt extremely grateful for my parents. I was more resolved than ever about telling both Les and Harry the truth. I drove around the block a few times, still trying to get a hold of myself before going home and seeing Harry. Mom's words kept playing over and over in my head. Tell him, Angelica, please. He needs to know. Damn, why do mothers have to be right all the time? And why do they make everything sound so easy? And that concludes chapter 33. So the mother-daughter talk. Um, I think it was time for that. <laughs> Angel and her mother had a little bit of a chat um, when the mother realized that Les was the father. But they haven't really had that heart-to-heart -heart afterwards. And it was imp it's very important, I think, for at this juncture in the story for Angel to have that conversation with her mom. It's just the push she needs to help get her over that hump of being resolved. And so, you know, it was very strategic in terms of making sure that that 
talk and that connection um, happened. So I'm not going to read the next chapter, but just to get the gist of what's going to happen is the next chapter is called Closing In. So um, Angel does decide that she's going to talk to Harry first. And um, yeah, so you're going to see some of that. And as she clo- as it closes in the timeline, um, things start to pick up again in the story and start happening very quickly. And there's some surprises, good and bad. <laughs> but um, I hope you enjoy this next uh, part. We're going to have a different guest coming up and a different couple of guests. And uh, we're going to soon start reaching the end and hopefully have a a little celebration when we get to the last episode uh, with the last few chapters. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode, even though it was just me by myself. Um, but you know, I kind of liked it in a way because I haven't talked too, too much about sort of, um, you know, my thinking along the way, a little bit, you know, about things that happened to me and how I included in the book, but not too much about why I chose to um, have certain things happen at certain points in the novel. This, I know these chapters aren't very exciting in terms of, you know, um, there's these main events that happen, um, but they're important nonetheless because it's about the relationships and we have to show that progression of relationships and we have to show the progression of Angel's journey, her her mind journey in terms of telling less, but also the journey in her heart. So really important stuff here. <laughs> and hopefully you'll tune in next time. I just wanted to remind my listeners, please, please make sure that you do go into whatever um, platform you're using to listen to this podcast. Make sure that you uh, follow me and then you'll get notifications too about new episodes and that you rate and uh, write a review. Give me some feedback. Love to hear it. Read it. (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for today. We'll catch you next time. And I really hope you're enjoying it so far. Take care.